Discovery, go at throttle up. Discovery 4 computers now have primary control of critical vehicle functions. Transmission coming in from the Starfleet Escape Podcast. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode number 97 and is being recorded on March the 29th, 2019. Today's topic, Spectral Scan, Discovery Season 2, Episode number 11. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. This podcast contains spoilers for Discovery Season 2, Episode 11, Perpetual Infinity, so you have been warned. I'm Eric Dewey. I'm Aaron Gallo. And I'm Eric Berry. This episode is sponsored by Revenge Lover Designs and Illustration. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off your order. Hello, gentlemen. Howdy, howdy. Hello, hello. It's uh, been a while since we've had the three of us here together. Yes. Yeah. Feels like an eternity perpetual infinity <laughs> <laughs> well it's been an interesting couple of weeks it's been one week <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah. it's been it's been a couple of weeks and <laughs> especially it's been it's been a day so uh, I'm, I'm happy for for new star trek and to talk about it because Everything else in my life is crumbling to pieces. No. But. no. <laughs> but I can't believe we only have three more episodes after this. Yeah, it's insane. Like, I, I'm i really hoping they don't just push the big old temporal reset button. But more and more it's looking <sighs> headed towards that direction. I mean, I don't want to get into it too much before we get to predictions and whatnot. But I really hope it, if they do that, that at least they do it really well. <laughs> but with only three episodes left to go, it's kind of hard to think how else are they going to wrap up this storyline other than with the whole, oh, well, we went back and made it not happen. This whole season just didn't happen. Which would be a real shame since we had so much growth with Burnham and Spock. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I hope that if there is some sort of time travel solution to this whole thing, that it's not just a complete reset and like, oh, this season didn't happen or most of the events of this season didn't happen. Hopefully there's some actual complication to it, I guess, is the best way I would want to put it. But we'll see. They, they've packed a lot into the last three episodes of last season. So around this time last season, we're like, how are they going to wrap up this story? And yeah, they wrapped it up pretty quickly, but it wasn't a cheap fix. It did tell a good story so and what i what i enjoyed last uh finale was that the whole klingon resolution was uh kind of fixed like early on in the finale and we had time to like breathe and get those you know post character moments like at starfleet and everything hopefully they're able to do that this time around as well maybe they'll give us a couple extra long episodes in there maybe they'll just like I said, it's it's possible that they're just uh, that good at story time. I mean, they've kept us guessing this entire oh, yeah. season, much more so than the first season. So, um, you know, we could be totally off. They could have a really good story lined up for us, and that's what I'm hoping for because so far the story's been really good. I've been really enjoying it. So, I feel like I need to rewatch this whole season now that we know more, mm -hmm. go back and see my how much they like really telegraph to us. Yeah. 
I was just thinking about doing that the other day, as a matter of fact. And then I told myself, you know what? I'm going to wait. I'm going to do that before the finale. Yeah. I'm going to watch the, you know, all the episodes leading up to and then watch the finale brand new. And that's that's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to wait until then. So I've got a couple more episodes before I do that rewatch. But I understand. That's a lot it's not to like rewatch. I've seen all of these episodes <laughs> three or four times each anyway (laughs) yeah i know it's like uh, you know i i watched it right before we recorded uh as my second time and you know i feel like star trek discovery right now it's it's probably the most i've rewatched any of the series you know as they air Mm -hmm. well of course um did podcasts even really exist when star trek was on the air before i feel like infancy probably what year was the last couple of se- what years were the last couple of seasons of Enterprise? Enterprise ended in uh, 2005. So the internet was definitely around and Oh yeah. <laughs> podcast <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was starting. There were, I, I don't think they they weren't in the form they are now as far as like here's a here's 15 different apps that you can listen to these things on. It was more of just individual people who like you know, they decided to take their blog to another level and say, hey, instead of typing out all this stuff, I'm just going to say it. And, you know, speeds were, were getting higher to where people could trade audio files and such more easily. And you got to that point where people were like, well, hey, instead of typing all this out, I could just say it and put it in as an audio file. And then really with the advent of the iPhone, I think that's when, when podcasts really started to take off because it really gave people a more mobile way to listen to internet content you know before that the only thing you could listen to on the go was really the radio so and that's your history of podcasting as well (laughs) according to (laughs) thank you professor dewey (laughs) let's uh why don't we jump into the news yes tell us the news can we beam into it instead of jumping well spore jump (laughs) oh no no they still haven't fixed it yet. So. <laughs> no Arium to help. Shout Studios acquired the rights to the documentary Deep Space Nine, What We Left Behind. This will mean a wider release for the movie, including a theatrical release. So I'm excited for this news. I'm also a backer. I was an original backer. And I'm a HD hero because I pledged additional 50 bucks to fund the HD transfers to this. I got a cool little challenge coin. Nice. So when I heard this news, I was very excited for it because, one, I love uh, Shout Factory. Uh, They're a really good company. They've been the ones that have been putting out the Power Rangers and Sentai releases and uh, overall, I've picked up other of their uh, sets and movies over the years, and they do a really quality work on all their Blu-rays and DVDs and all of that. So I'm really excited that what we left behind is going to get more exposure. I would love to see that in the theaters. Um, and for anyone who, that has backed this they have promised that you know even before this goes to dvd uh and once it or before it goes and gets a theatrical release all of the original backers are still gonna get to see it first they've really promised that uh it's just taken a while because they are remastering about i think 25 minutes of footage 
uh, from Deep Space Nine, which includes uh, CBS Digital uh, helping with that process once again, just like the uh, Next Generation Masters. So I think we're going to get some really amazing looking footage. And if this really takes off, if everyone supports the theatrical release, if people buy the DVDs and Blu-ray, I think we have a really good shot to let CBS know that we want a full remaster of Deep Space Nine. So definitely support it if you can. Yeah, absolutely. That would be awesome. I would love to. Deep Space Nine was a great series, and I would love to watch it remastered too. And what I found out during this whole process, uh, because I've been following the whole project, is that when they originally filmed Deep Space Nine, they actually framed everything even though it was aired in standard definition 4 by 3 aspect ratio they blocked every shot forward thinking that one day it'll get like a widescreen release and the reason they couldn't do that for next generation was because they weren't next generation wasn't thinking that far ahead and while they could have done a wide release you would have seen like lights on the edge of the sets and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Right. But, but with deep space nine, even though it was broadcasting four by three, they filmed it with a 16, nine ratio. Nice. If it does get remastered and I hope it does, I really hope CBS takes it to like the full limit and, you know, gives us the, those amazing sets. I would buy those in a heartbeat. Anyhow, I'll get off my soapbox about it. <laughs> well, I saw, I saw online a fan used an AI to upscale. Yeah, but there's some, like, I, there's a whole analysis behind it, and it's different. That's different from what they're doing with right. uh, the What We Left Behind documentary. Mm-hmm. It's it's good in a pinch. Like, yeah, there, there are some things that are a little bit sharper, but... It's like kind of like crap in, crap out. Since it's using the four by three, like a lot of the colors are still muddied. Like it doesn't really correct for that, mm-hmm. just just for sharpness. And what they were showing, like with a full HD, I guess you know certain parts of the Deep Space Nine model, like there's actual yellow parts to the model, which got lost in the four by three transfer uh, on TV. So there's like little things like that where. You know, sure, is that a cheaper way of doing it? Yeah, but I'd rather have them do it right. And I know that costs a lot of money, and, you know, people are saying that physical media is, is kind of dead, but I really hope physical media gets kind of a renaissance because, you know, all these streaming services, licenses are lost quickly, and then all of a sudden you're cut out without access to your show unless you have a physical media portion of it so i i'm a big proponent of physical media and and all that so anyhow it's just something i'm really passionate about and that's why i helped to fund the documentary in in the first place yeah for sure that's cool so gentlemen would you buy this absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a a big oh hell nah for me on this one (laughs) yeah yeah, it's it's a no for me as well. And they also have a Spock and a USS Enterprise. USS Enterprise is sold out. What we're talking That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> 
What we're talking about is the Captain James T. Kirk 150-gram silver miniature from New Zealand Mint selling for $550. No, <laughs> that's, that's where they lost me. Um, they're, I mean, they're cool, but these, I mean, it's... And they're, it's not, it's they're not even big. The, the, the Enterprise but, is like four centimeters tall. Yeah, so I, I'm thinking, what, 10 centimeters that... It, that roughly is what an inch and a half ish. If I'm, I'm just kind of guessing on the conversion there. I mean, this it's a miniature. I mean, it literally is a miniature. This is like the type of thing that my mom used to have tons of these in pewter that she painted of things like this, um, with you know all sorts of you know trolls and dragons and whatnot and who's he, what's it, and yeah, this one's made out of silver. But I mean, still, it's just a little silver person. <laughs> Five hundred fifty dollars <laughs> for a tiny silver person. No thanks. Right. Sorry, I, I'd rather get one of those cool jackets that we talked about from yeah. Discovery. Yeah, if I've got $550 lying around that I can spend on something like this, I'll spend 300 of it on a jacket that I can wear places and like show everybody. What am I going to do with this? Carry it around with me just to show <laughs> Look, I, Look what I have. Look what I have. It's 550 bucks, and someone's like, yoink, <laughs> mine now. A <laughs> hundred people have purchased the Enterprise already version of this it just goes to show you that there are a lot of people out there with more money than sense available <laughs> apparently that is true and i'm sure there are people who bought all three so yeah i'm sure there are it well that's it's one of those things like if i were like super uber rich like maybe i'd consider i i don't know i can't even fathom spending that kind of money on something even if i were like super rich i'd be like no it's still a little <laughs> For, for what I'm getting, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, but maybe, maybe if I literally had so much money that I was, you know, desperate to find ways to spend it. <laughs> like, I've already got a Bugatti, my Viper's in the shop, uh, <laughs> you know, what, I need to spend some money. Oh, I know, I'll buy these little silver miniatures. It's kind of redonkulous, yeah. Yeah, so hard pass from all three of us. Yeah, we finally all agree on something. <laughs> you won the game. <laughs> Let's jump in or warp in to the episode summary. Burnham receives the reunion she's been longing for, but it doesn't go quite as she imagined. Giorgio and Tyler sense a disturbing change in Leland. Oh my god. Probably one of the shortest episode summaries uh, we've had to date. <laughs> and because, honestly, they couldn't really do much more without giving away a lot of what, what happened. So I can understand why the summary was so short, because without spoilers, can't really say much more about what happened in this episode. <laughs> right. It was interesting. Um, I actually liked it the first watch through, which is nice. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> you, you want that. Right. <laughs> I, I also enjoyed it the first watch through. I didn't enjoy it nearly as much as some of the previous episodes. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not the worst episode, but for some, mm. there's just something about this episode. I don't know if it was the pacing or what it was, but there's just something about this episode that didn't quite feel exactly right. And that's why it ended up getting a little bit lower ranking from me than from you guys. But it's still a good episode. We'll talk about why when we talk about our likes and dislikes. But yeah, there were a few things that I, it's really hard to explain. Like when I was watching it, I just, mm-hmm. I never felt like I fully got into the groove of the episode. Mm-hmm. Whereas with previous episodes, I've always been like, okay, turn it on and uh, I'm watching this. And it's just, I'm in, I'm there. Even in the episodes that weren't quite as good and had lulls and stuff, I still never found my attention wandering. 
In this one, for some reason, the pacing just, it, it kind of kept me off balance, in not in a good way. And I, it's very hard to describe. I don't know if anybody else felt that way at all watching this episode, but. I, I didn't think the the pacing was was a problem, but but maybe that maybe that's just me. Yeah, I don't know. I had some issues playing the episode. Oh, at first, um, and I wasn't the only one. Other people had issues. I couldn't use my streaming devices uh, mm. hooked up to my TV. Uh, I was able to see it on my phone. But then I couldn't, I couldn't cast it from my phone to the TV, which Weird. was an issue. So then I had to boot up my computer and cast it from my computer to the, <laughs> to the TV. But it finally worked. I was finally able to watch it. Hashtag first world problems. Um. <laughs> yeah. What's, what's funny that you say that I didn't have any problem whatsoever watching it last night when I got home from work. But then when I went to watch it again today... I couldn't open the CBS app on my Roku TV. Oh. I kept opening it, and it would just close itself down. And I opened it, and it would close itself down. Then I rebooted the TV, and I tried to open the CBS app, and it would close itself down. And then I uninstalled the CBS app on the TV and reinstalled it, and then I was able to open it up and watch the watch the episode no problem. Mm. I'm like, I watched this episode last night on this same TV. What What is the problem here? That's really weird. Maybe it updated and something got wacky. Yeah, it was so weird because I would click on the, the button for the CBS app and the CBS, the little I logo would come up. Yeah. It would just close down. It was back to the home screen, the home Roku screen again. I was like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> and it's done that to me before on a couple of apps where I've had to reboot the TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like actually unplug the TV, wait a few seconds, plug it, but like do a hard reboot on it, right? And it didn't, it didn't work. What did work was uninstalling the CBS app and then reinstalling and relogging in. That's the the pain in the butt part is the relogging in, trying to type yeah. out email address and password. Luckily, I use the the Roku app on my phone, so I can use my phone keyboard when mm-hmm. it comes to having to do to type things, right? Instead of you know click 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 click. Click, 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 you know, to try to get every single letter of your email address and password in there. But still, it's kind of annoying. Yeah, no, I agree. Let's go into our likes. Okay. All right. So, Control Assimilating Leland, that was kind of cool. The effect was awesome. I did love that that whole scene, and especially the effects in that scene. Right. And some people I saw online were complaining about... This of course. Scene. Yeah, people were saying, oh, is Leland the first Borg? Well, obviously not, because the Borg exists in this timeline, in the right. Delta Quadrant. Where did the nanite technology come from? Well, it's Section 31. They probably have nanite somewhere. Here's here's another thing. Mm-hmm. They are in the timeline that Enterprise happened, regeneration happened. I'm right. sure that Starfleet kept that whole thing top secret mm-hmm. so whatever they did find out and also Flox's research into the Borg nanotech right. I think you know after a hundred years of uh, study and research research uh, yeah yeah definitely I, I appreciate that it wasn't an exact copy of what the Borg nanites look like uh, they were like little green right. things um, unlike the Borg that had like the they kind of like latched on to the blood cells. Yeah, they looked more like little mechanical spider type. Right. Uh, 
whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I think we got that thanks to Star Trek Voyager. Uh, which is an amazing show. I don't know what you're implying. No, I, I didn't say anything negative, <laughs> uh, Mr. Burke. Uh, your tone was just a little... Uh... Getting a little defensive, well, sar- sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, the the doctor. Stop talking about void. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. So yeah, I I thought that assimilation scene was uh, pretty pretty cool, and I um and I liked it a lot. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, I really liked that it pierced into the skin. Oh man, lots of piercing going on this season. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, Leland has had it pretty rough. Um, I thought he was dead last episode. I wish he was dead. Yikes! <laughs> <laughs> Screw that guy. Well, I didn't want. I'd rather him be dead than um, being a puppet for control. Yeah, it's man, it's pretty rough. But you know, it is what it is. He kind of had it coming to him, though. Yeah, he's dick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I really liked that uh, Doctor Burnham's mission log uh, cited Spock's uniqueness, his uh, human slash Vulcan slash dyslexic self made him the only person she was able to communicate with although i don't completely understand why she couldn't communicate with other beings but um she didn't build a speaker into her suit (laughs) you know that was the biggest problem (laughs) she got she got stuck out there in the future and was like oh man I knew I had something. I had that Bluetooth speaker in the lab. I totally forgot to grab it when I was on my way out. Yeah, I thought it was it was interesting. It, for me, it felt like they were trying to explain why she chose Spock in a way that didn't involve Michael. And that right. just made it more weird because I was already accepting that, oh, she chose Spock because he was close to Michael. Mm-hmm. That was fine with me. And then her, like, making up this elaborate other reason why he was the only one she spoke with. It's like, well, okay, I guess. But you didn't, you're over explaining something that you didn't need to over explain. We've got plenty of other things that we would love for you to explain. Mm-hmm. This is something that we had already accepted your explanation on, and now you're giving us something more. So I, I wasn't 100% on board with that. I didn't mind it. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't, I was kind of like, okay, you're giving me reasons for stuff that I had already accepted. You're not, convincing me of anything new here mm-hmm. i it's just everything is so connected mm. I, I don't know it almost feels like too connected see that part i'm not i don't have a problem with so obviously everything that's happening in the show is going to be focused on these characters i mean no, i get that it's just kind of the way television and movies works once you focus on these characters everything is going to seem to happen around them i I get what you're saying if you look at the grand scheme of things you've got an entire galaxy where all this stuff could be happening and it just happens to be (laughs) happening to these people but then if it was happening to somebody else they'd make the show about those people and then it would be like 23 episodes long which i wouldn't mind at all right um (laughs) (laughs) you can tell a lot of story in a short time if you do it right Next up on my list of likes is Tyler. I thought he was just great in this episode. I liked that he did not carry out the mission to steal the sphere data. And I was really concerned he was going to die in this episode. 
but I'm glad he was able to flee in the escape pod. Yeah, Shazad Latif did a fantastic job in this episode, um, acting the part of Tyler and showing, you know, once again, Tyler is already a character who has most internal struggle of any character we've ever seen in Trek. And this, he just keeps getting himself into situations where he has this internal struggle. And now it's between Section 31 and Starfleet. You know, he, he is torn between okay do i do what i'm told over here or do what i do i do what i think is right based on my my starfleet training like what do i do and good to see he made the you know, right decision and uh, yeah i'm also glad that he didn't die yeah same here i'm glad he's back in full force after being away for a couple episodes so uh, this was this was really nice to have him in the spotlight, kind of like the culmination of everything, because he really doesn't have that much loyalty to Section 31, and he's really been stuck in that gray area. So it's nice to see him come to these realizations and, you know, Michael kind of hounding him about, why are you with these people? You're, you're showcasing your intentions. And... It's put a lot of doubt in him, which I like, and I I really am interested in his character, how he's become kind of this, like, nomad in a way. Like, he really doesn't have loyalties to anyone at this point, and at the same time, no one else really trusts him. Like, everyone's kind of wary about him, so I, I get why he's perfect Section 31 material, but man, they're not doing him any favors either. Yeah, for sure. Section 31 is really an interesting creature <laughs> in this... Literally. In, yeah, in <laughs> this uh, series, at least. But yeah, I uh, I enjoyed how Control was able to use Leland's knowledge to manipulate Giorgio into doing what it wanted. Yeah, that was one of my big likes. Manipulating her ego and, and her Terran sensibilities and kind of maneuvering that conversation to really only go one way. And that was really slick. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that as well. Um, what I liked best about it, though, was that even as he was doing it, she was already starting to kind of get the sense that something wasn't quite right. Right. Like, she was she was still buying into it. She was still going to do what she was being asked to do. But you could tell that entire time she was already starting to have her doubts and that's, you know, it was right then she's like, okay, um, the interesting choice of words there, you know, like specifically, you know, talking about certain things. And she's like, hmm, like you could tell she she thought something was up, but at the same time, making enough sense that she still went along with the plan yeah. originally. It wasn't until later when things really sna snapped into place and she's like, oh, crap, he's not good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap, not good. No, I, I really like that when she had that uh, talk with Dr. Burnham that when she used the same phrasing, it kind of clicked all in for Giorgio, like, oh, shit. <laughs> right. Uh, and continuing with Leland and Giorgio, that fight scene. Oh, my God. <laughs> Well, not only the fight scene with her and Giorgio, but also just showcasing his speed yeah, right. when he attacked Tyler. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was, that was intense. Yeah. It was like 
fast forward, <laughs> like someone fast forward or something. I mean, come on, it's it's Michelle Yeoh, like, and the Star Trek Discovery crew, they have some of the best professionals in the business, and the fight choreography in this show has always been amazing. Like, one of my favorite fights from the first season was Emperor uh, Giorgio and Michael Burnham and Lorca fight. That was, oh, that was amazing. incredible. And, I mean, come on, it's Michelle Yeoh. You have to showcase her martial art abilities. And I just want her to get in a fight like every single episode that she's in. I'd be okay with that too, even if there was no reason. Even if she just yeah, she just picks a fight. <laughs> just picks a fight just to just to have a fight. Oh, that'll that'll be the section thirty one series. Oh yeah, <laughs> I just want every episode her just kicking a ton of butt. <laughs> <laughs> and it can't be Star Trek without a Shakespeare quote. Always got to toss at least one of those in there somewhere. Yeah, we get from Hamlet this time, I believe. I I think so. And uh, Burnham goes. Hell yeah. (laughs) I loved it. I was a total fan of that. Uh, I actually found, like, I did a a Google search, and I found that there's actually someone who made a blog that cataloged every single time Shakespeare was used in Star Trek. Oh, nice. And it hasn't been updated since 2009 with uh, the first Star Trek movie. Okay. Or, or no, they updated it with Beyond, I think. But they're going to have to update it again. Yeah, I mean, you have to have a reason to keep on paying for those, uh, yeah, those domain fees and stuff like that. You might as well be updating it. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, that completes my list of likes. All right, time for me to shine. <laughs> um, like a diamond. <laughs> shine like a diamond. <laughs> or shine like a dilithium crystal. There mm. you go. Yes. First. I want to say that Sonequa Martin-Green is a freaking powerhouse this episode. Oh, yeah. The range of emotions that she put on display here was amazing. And I'm glad that, you know, we've seen her evolution over the course of these past couple seasons where, you know, a lot of her kind of Vulcan upbringing been broken down and... You know, she's really opened up the past, you know, two seasons. And it's just, it's really great. I mean, it it's emotional for her because that would be emotional for anyone. I think at that point that would kind of break anyone's, you know, mental ability or emotional attachment. It, it was just a real ride and roller coaster for Michael Burnham. And... You know, when, when they were crying, you know, they had that conversation. I, I teared up a little bit. It's just, it, it's really well done. And I am always kind of like an emotional suck, sucker for children and parents kind of having an emotional breakthrough like that. It's just, I don't know, it, it, it really goes to show that, you know, her mom is literally traveling through time to try and not only save her, but the galaxy that she lives in and like trying to be there for her daughter, even though her daughter thinks she's dead. It's, it's just really powerful. And I think both actors really sold it. I, I think it's, it's just incredible what they were able to do with 
this storyline and then especially this episode. And that's one of the great things about Star Trek. You could just be two people talking for an extended period, but you get so invested in what's going on and the emotion and, you know, just the implications of everything that's that's going on. So really awesome that she was able to just run the gamut emotionally in this episode. And, and we believed it. Yep. She nailed it. She, she killed it this episode. Absolutely. Yeah. And it really goes to show, you know, why she is the lead in, in the show. It's because she's just a great actor and it's, it's amazing. So that was a huge like for me. It was just, she was really the star of this episode and it, it really came through. And also, I mean, the whole cast is obviously phenomenal, Mm -hmm. Um, but her and Ethan Peck are really great together. And to see their journey through this whole plot line and even last episode when uh, Spock truly kind of forgave her when they were in the the boxing room or whatever. Right. Uh, it's just, it's so great. And now he's consoling her. He's, he's being there for his sister. It's just really great. And I I think both of them really sell it. I definitely agree with that. That was actually on my list of likes as well as specifically the interaction between those two Mm -hmm. in this episode. I mean, she was fantastic, but the scenes with the both of them were just extra special, especially this episode. They have been all season. But this episode especially were just extra great, especially right at the end. Yeah, not only at the end when he's setting up the chess pieces, but also when he helps her and and says, hey, you know what? We should confront the captain. I know how much this means to you and what little time we have left. We should do that. So him being kind of like this champion for her is, is almost like giving back to her trying to find and, and pursue him earlier this season. So it, it's just a nice way that things are coming full circle. Uh, moving on, I'm glad that we're like filling in the blanks to the season-long questions that we had. Um, mm-hmm. Why did the sphere just happen to show up in front of Discovery? Now we know why. We knew just because she was the Red Angel, but... Now there's more context to Terralesium and New Eden was that it was an experiment to see if she could change time. And not only that, but the additional fact that if you think about it, she's 950 years in the future from that time, and she only pulled them 200 years from their time. So it's like it was almost like she did it to set up where she was going to go. And it was almost like a safety net, like, hey, if this society can thrive without technology, then in the future, when they become, you know, more of a cohesive society, now she has the resources. I think that's why she chose uh, Terralesium as, like, when she moved her anchor point. So I like that because it's like, you're not completely alone. Well... She would have been if it... Well, I don't know. It seemed like there was no life. No uh, intelligent life, anyway. Like, everywhere? Because I thought the whole point where her setting up Terralesium was at so that they would have no technology and control couldn't find them. I I thought it was... 
just to experiment. Yeah, they did have some technology at Terralysium. They had the light, you know, they had the electricity and everything going, and they were given the power cell, obviously. But they had that before. They had the stuff that they had with them, basically. just never evolved it any further than that. I think her, like, hideout point or whatever in the future is just a barren wasteland. Like, that just seems to be... I don't know if it's on Earth... Like she did do that one. No, scene. she said it was. It was. She was on Terralysium. Yeah, I, I, th- I felt like she was just experimenting to see if she could manipulate the timeline. I. Yeah, that's how it came off to me as well. Is that she was just she just did that to see if they would still die or not, like to see if the time would actually change or if they would somehow, even though she removed them from that place of death if they would just end up dying anyway because time would be like, no. Oh, which they did because Mr. Smarty Pants Pike gave them that reactor anyway. Right. Womp womp. Okay. See, we we talk it out. We work it out. (laughs) I like that the Sphere Archive almost has its own form of AI Mm -hmm. in a way. It's almost like a good AI versus controls bad AI. I just like that Somehow, when they started trying to delete stuff, it was like, mm, safety mode, I'm going to encrypt myself. Beep, boop, beep. And <laughs> I just, I, I like that it's smart because you're using a dead language from thousands of centuries ago to encrypt your database. No one is get, getting into that. No one. But then, do they break the cr- encryption? Because how are they downloading it and stuff? I think the encryption just prevented it from being deleted. Oh, so it didn't encrypt the entire archive? I don't think so. But if that's the case, that's weird because couldn't they like just go through the database and create a cipher? I, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> this, all of this ties into one of my dislikes later on. Uh, I'll, I'll point that out later. But yeah, what you guys are saying makes sense. It's like, wait a minute. Okay, so uh, it seemed to me that the... Sphere data had created this encryption only to prevent itself from being deleted. They were still able to access it and still able to see it, but it just prevented itself from being deleted, which is like, well, I mean, in theory, all they have to do is it's got to be stored somewhere on the ship. There has to be a computer core somewhere. They could, in theory, just pull that chunk of computer core and destroy it, and boom, data's gone. Like, encryption... I I don't get why they don't just do that. Why they don't just, like, put it in one place. Like, okay, I'll just put all this this data onto this hard drive, and oops, I dropped it into a magnetic field. Or or launch it into a star. (laughs) Oops, I vaporized it into a billion pieces. So... I, I, I don't know. It's it's strange. Thing though about the AI or the archive possibly having its own AI that actually yeah ties. When you said that, I kind of had an aha moment because I was thinking that you know we know that we know now that the Red Angel and these Red Bursts are completely separate, but yet the Red Bursts still seem thus far on the side of good. Our side, yeah. So. Obviously, there's something fighting against control in the future. Maybe yeah. it's the sphere data itself. It's it's getting very timey-wimey. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm... It, it, it's kind of interesting, like, 
well, the future controls trying to prevent this, but what if like a future future sphere God thing is like doing the red signals? It's, it's kind of mind blowing to think about. Anywho, we'll save that for unanswered questions. <laughs> um, one of my uh, one of my last likes was this time as an enemy concept, which we've seen quite a few times in Star Trek. In Voyager, the the main dude in Year of Hell, he had this whole speech with uh, about time and how it's an enemy. And thanks to the people at Trek Corps, they're able to put together these like comparison videos lately of, you know, showing these concepts that are from other series. And it, it really goes to show that, you know, they do have some Star Trek experts on the writing staff that, you know, know the deep lore of Star Trek and are able to pull on on these threads that we've already known about, especially the the past couple episodes, this whole technological leaps happened because of future interference. And then Trek Corps did this great edit from Future's End where Janeway and Chakotay come to this realization that the computer age of the 20th century was because of future time travel interference. And that's the same thing that Leland kind of revealed to Burnham that her mother theorized that the same thing, like there are technological leaps that happen because of future time travel. And I think it's cool that we get Dr. Burnham talking about time being an enemy when not only have we seen that from the Krenum and Year of Hell and from Future's End, but we also saw in Generations where Soren said, time is the fire in which we burn. And I just love that whole concept that, that time is not your friend in a lot of ways. And it's just one of those neat higher concepts that I really like that Star Trek has explored. Time, time travel episodes are not my favorite. I know. Um, and there's a lot of time travel in this. <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with with time travel stories in general, just in sci-fi in general, because I love them, but sometimes they are done so poorly that I'm like, oh, man, I went into this expecting something great, and it turned to poop on me. So it's real tough, because you, you've got to walk a fine line between being somewhat realistic in the idea of time travel and being just overly campy and dumb in the in the area of time travel. So hopefully they're keeping it so far this season they've kept it, you know, more on the realistic side somewhat. Um it's almost kind of like H. G. Wells time machine in that she keeps going back and trying to change this, but no matter what she does, she can't change this one big thing she's trying to change. So it's it's kind of interesting, and I dig it. I, I've always been a fan of time travel stories in general, as long as they're done right. Mm -hmm. And I think so far they're doing it right, as long as, like I said, they don't push that big temporal reset button and just... <laughs> yeah, I would I would really hate that. Uh, Mr. Dewey, your, your likes. Oh, Indeed, yes. Uh, I thought there was quite a lot to like about this episode, even though I didn't give it as high a ranking as I have previous episodes. But there were definitely some things to like about it. In addition to what we've talked about already, I love seeing Culber back in uniform. 
the fact that he's been reinstated and the fact that he chose to be reinstated specifically to help Michael and her mother. Like he made that choice. He said, okay, I'm coming back. I'm going to be a doctor in Starfleet again because I want to deal with this situation. So I love seeing that. I thought that was fantastic. I also really liked that when Michael first woke up, she assumed that having seen her mom come out of the red angel suit was an hallucination mm. that she had had. Yes. And she's like, it was, it was me, right? It was, I mean, I thought I saw my mom, but come on now. And they're like, no, um, actually it was your mom. And she, and then her, the, the range of emotions she went through just within a few seconds right then was mm-hmm. just absolutely fantastic. So, so that whole scene, despite some parts of it that, could have been easily fixed in previous episodes. We'll talk about that later, I see, on your list, Aaron. Um, But other than that, that scene was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also really loved Control using the holograms of multiple different officers to prove its point that it can basically do whatever the hell it wants. Um, It's, you know, basically it can be anybody it wants in holographic form. It can speak like them, walk like them. They can do everything. It's basically kind of like, hey, I'm here deal with it you know um so i thought that was a really cool scene the way they transitioned between the different characters in holographic form of control talking to leland before it shoved 18 needles in his head and (laughs) pumped him full of nanites (laughs) i also as i said i really liked that Giorgio noticed before anybody else that something was different about leland Mm -hmm. even as he was manipulating her she still she wasn't a hundred percent convinced like he he was effective but it took a lot longer than i think control thought it would like he Mm. thought you know control really thought that she was gonna as soon as he like here's the thing and she's just like standing there and i'm i'm sure control at that point was thinking Oh, she should have just grabbed this and went. Like, what's going on? Like, why do I have to keep talking right now? So I like that even though she was manipulated in the end, she did still notice before anybody else and was kind of fighting it a little bit. Yeah. Kind of speaking to what you were talking about, about the Trek uh, lore of time, I really, really love this shot when they show Michael walking down the hallway reading the mission logs and everybody else is moving in fast forward about her. And as she's doing that, they've got the voiceover quoting Einstein's theory that time moves differently depending on who's looking at it or who's experiencing it or why they're looking at it or, you know, the different ways you experience time flow. And I thought that was just such a cool idea to have the shot do that while that was going on in the voiceover. It was just really effective, I felt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I really I really dug the symbolism there. I thought that was really cool. I loved uh, Dr. Burnham telling Pike that she could tell tell him more about his future, but you wouldn't like it. That was pretty cold. Oh, man. Oh, that was, that was dead cold. Yeah. <laughs> That was Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> yeah. Anybody who's seen the Menagerie is like, oh, ouch. Ooh, that that stings a bit right there. But it was a great it was a great scene, especially since at that moment she was she was pissed at him. So she was kind of, you know, being a snarky bitch at him, and that's what <laughs> where it came out of. And so I'm like, oh damn. As we talked about, all the scenes with Spock and Michael, Sneak with Martin Green and Ethan Peck were just brilliant the entire oh. episode. Um, we also talked about Tyler's struggles between his loyalties right now. You know, he's he's trying to do his job with Section 31 and he believes in their mission, he says. 
but he's also very much questioning their methods right now. And as Leland starts doing more and more weird stuff, he's questioning it more and more. And I liked seeing that he made the right choice when it came down to it. Right. Um, so, and of course the Michelle Yeoh fight scene, we all, <laughs> we all said it, we all loved it. it anytime you want to put Michelle Yeoh into a fighting scene on Star Trek, I will uh, gladly be on board for that. So, uh, there you have it. That's my uh, list of prominent likes for this episode. Very nice. Uh, good listing, both of you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, blushing right now. You made me blush. Moving on to dislikes. The mitochondrial DNA line uh, to explain uh. why they confuse Dr. Burnham's bioneural signature with Michael's is uh, kind of a stretch. Yeah, and it could have been so easily prevented. My thing is, like, they never had to say in the previous episodes that it was an exact match. They just could have said, hey, there was a DNA scan in this data that was slightly corrupted, but what we were able to reconstruct of it, it seems to be a match to you, Michael. That's all they would have needed to say. And then when it turned out to be your mom's like, oh, well, that's why it seemed to be a match, because it was your mom. A familial match is very close. Yes, but when they come out with the no, it's exactly the same signature, exactly, and then it turns out to be somebody else. You're like, wait a minute, how can we rely on those tests ever again in the future? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and Cobra was like, you know, I can tell it's it's not it's not made up. It's it's yeah, real. Yeah. It's it's Cobra you. Like I would have seen you. it. I would have known. And then like he's like, oh, but <laughs> that could have been easily prevented. Oops. It was kind of, yeah, all they had to do yeah. was just say that the data had been slightly corrupted. They had a DNA scan from the Red Angel, but it wasn't complete. But what they could, what they did have of it was a match to Michael or similar enough to Michael that they believe it's her. You know, any of that would have been enough to alleviate them having to use this BS to explain away their trick, basically. Right. Yeah, that kind of irked me a little bit. So I'm assuming that the people that, like we said earlier, that she brought to Terra Elysium were going to die. I didn't like the fact that she was using humans as a as an experiment. She's kind of become jaded to the whole thing. You notice when she was talking oh, to yeah. Pike yeah. that she goes, you're a ghost to me. You're you and everybody else are ghost to me. So she doesn't even at that point, she didn't even see them as people. Mm -hmm. They were people that, you know, she knew as already dead, whatever. So she had no qualms whatsoever about using them as an experiment to see if she could alter the timeline. And the fact that her experiment, she could have easily done it a different way and gone and been like, well, I'm going to kill this person and see if their grandchild still exists <laughs> later on to see if the, you know, it would have served the same purpose for her experiment. So the fact that she saved a bunch of people, at least if she's experimenting on people, she's doing it the right way. <laughs> Yeah. Save guys instead of taking them, at least. But I get what you're saying, yeah. But I think it's just a, a situation of her having been alone for so long and trying mm -hmm. to do this and just becoming so jaded to the fact that life doesn't exist in her world, basically, that it's, yeah, they are nothing more than lab rats to her at this point. Next is kind of a big one for me. Why wouldn't the wormhole be tethered to the science lab during her initial jump and not a random point 950 years in the future. I also question that. Yeah, it's like, okay, so you jump, 
and then you're tethered to where you jump from. But where you jump from was that space lab. <laughs> so, no, I think it's it's more like she's just tethered to 950 years in the future because she was out in space when she first jumped, but she could at least move her endpoint of the tether to whatever planet. So I don't think it's it's space as much as just time. No, I I get that, but I feel like the wormhole that was created originally, the endpoint would still be in that lab. So why wouldn't she get pulled back to the lab? Know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah, it's one of those things. The the other thing about that whole situation that didn't make much sense, it seemed like they were waiting for that star to go supernova to have the energy to use the suit. But then when the Klingons came, she was just able to use the suit anyway without the supernova energy. It's just like, but why were you waiting for the well, suit if you could just use it whenever? Well, no, she she said that she had enough charge to to do the experiment. It was just at like 70% or whatever. I thought I thought she said we would have enough by the time. I see that's that's where I I got a little confused. I was like, wait, so they're waiting for the star to go supernova so they'll have the energy to do this and then but yeah, maybe they've been collecting energy that entire time and yeah. saying, and maybe that's why she ended up tethered to the the first spot she jumped to was because she didn't have the full amount of energy she needed. I don't know. Oh, maybe, but she could have probably have charged it uh, up by now. Um, you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the scene itself I thought was a good flashback to her childhood to show how different she was as a child under human parents than she was when she became Spock and, or Sarek and Amanda's child. Right. So I, I liked the scene. I don't like the tech aspect, like you said, about how, okay, suddenly, so now she's 950 years in the future, but she's not stuck. Yeah, it it's weird that the, the tethering point would somehow be there instead of where she originally jumped from. Yeah. So there's just so much. Like, I hate when they try to explain time travel. <laughs> uh, like Captain Janeway says, it gives me a headache. I, I just, yeah. <laughs> as, as both O'Brien said, I hate temporal mechanics. <laughs> Continuing with my dislike of the Red Angel suit, the suit having unlimited storage capacity is pretty dumb. I didn't like that they said unlimited. If they'd have said, hey, look, it has a lot of storage and it has enough for what we need. Okay, that'd be yeah, fine. Yeah, they, they said quantum storage, but there's there's nothing infinite when it comes to data storage like that especially on the suit like where where right i mean this suit is already freaking so advanced that uh <laughs> i i really don't like the the godlike technology that that her mom just happened to invent yeah I, i've got a i've got a thing about that as well but yeah the they all they had to do again it was a, a small tweak all they had to do is say hey it has a lot of storage capacity and there's enough for what we need Okay, good. Saying it like, has perfect. <laughs> all, virtually unlimited storage capacity. Well, that's not a thing. You can't just have unlimited storage capacity. You know, that's just, it doesn't exist. There's always going to be an upper limit somewhere. <laughs> and even if it's more than you think you can ever use, there's still a limit. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, this is just a weird, not 
necessarily a dislike, just a weird number that they pull out of their butt. Control says there are 7,000 active ships in the fleet. So either registry system that Starfleet uses is way off, or this number includes shuttles and non-NCC ships. Well, yeah, we saw that the Section 31 ships have a different like prefix in their registry. Yeah, so I mean, but that's a, that's a lot of ships for the Enterprise to be the only ship in the quadrant all the time. <laughs> hey, you'll, you'll get no argument from me there. <laughs> it does seem like a large number. I mean, you'd think they'd have a pretty big fleet, but yet whenever we see, like, even, I think the largest number of ships that we've seen gathered in one place is probably in Next Gen at Wolf 359. And even then they had what? It was 39 uh, ships destroyed. Yeah, so they were able to gather 40 ships basically together at one point. If they've got 7,000 out there, um, at what point did they scale back the fleet so much? Now, obviously, they just came out of a time of war. They were, they were probably building ships like crazy, but they also said last season that the Klingons had destroyed two-thirds of the fleet. So does that mean they had 21,000 ships before that? <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of dang ships. So, yeah, they're... Definitely counting something there that we don't know about. Ships that we're never going to see, evidently. I, I really hope it's just a bunch of shuttles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's bulk of the fleet. Little tiny ships that do specific missions. Or, or little transports or, right. or whatever, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's my list of dislikes, uh, Mr. Barry. Yeah, so... God, I I don't know if it's Star Trek Discovery's effects team or they just really don't care about the workings of the ship because, man, if we had a Micah Kuda on this, this mistake would not have happened because I paused it. When, when this scene happened, when they're like, oh, yeah, boy, to hell, and I'm like, oh, hell, yeah, and, they, and they're like shooting the torpedoes at the thing i'm like oh oh yeah yeah torpedoes whoa yeah destroy it and then my second rewatch i'm like wait because i skipped around i was like wait a minute those torpedoes came from the freaking basard collectors in the nacelles yeah i was like what the hell is this and you know discovery's ship design is already pretty unique and the nacelles are the widest point of the ship and so that's literally where the photon torpedoes were coming from. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they did that for dramatic effect. Like, oh, man, oh, look how cool this is going to look. It's the freaking nacelles. Yeah. And even if you had, like, torpedo launchers on the struts or the underside of the nacelle, you don't put freaking photon torpedoes near the warp system at all. Yeah. That's a recipe of disaster waiting to happen. And so I was just <laughs> floored. I was apparently. livid. Yeah. That, no, this is more crossfield class ships were ever built. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, this, oh, no, this is no why. Oh, I think it's because of those damn torpedo tubes we put on the nacelles. <laughs> My God, it was bad. Like that was a bad effect shot. Just like the effects team doesn't know how to close the goddamn shuttle bay door. So it's bad. Yeah, when I read your tweet on it, I was like, oh, let me see where torpedoes have come out of Discovery before. 
So yeah. I looked at when they blow up their sarcophagus ship. It's coming out of not than the cells. literally anywhere else yeah so yeah i feel you there i feel you there i was also looking for a diagram of the ship and i couldn't find one anywhere it's because people have tried and they're like we we've got no clue we've i mean we tried and then we uh then we saw this scene where they had like the turbo lift shafts and stuff and we're like what (laughs) so we gave up yeah Yeah, I'm just, I'm livid about that. <laughs> it's, it's bad. I was kind of annoyed at how they're really treating Tilly's character. Tilly had so much growth earlier this season. And the past few episodes, she's just made jokey joke that everyone dismisses. And I don't like it. Like, even Saru and Captain Pike were fed up with her BS this right. round. Yeah. Like, oh, I love the third law. My other favorite lies. And they're just like, okay, whatever. Like, Saru just, like, talks right over her. And we just saw Tilly grow so much this season. And she's back to, like, the slapsticky one-liner person. And I, I don't I don't like it. I don't like it. If they're not going to use her in the story properly, like I like her awkwardness most of the time. And I liked the fact that Pike was willing to roll with it for the most part. But when they don't accompany it with her also showing why she belongs on the ship and doing what she's doing, it makes it look like she's just this weird, dumb character that they have around to crack jokes in the previous episodes, they've had this, oh, she makes this awkward joke, but then she also does this amazing science thing that somebody else might not have been able to do. So it balances out. And now they've kind of, well, we need to throw Tilly in this episode, so we'll give her three lines and they're all stupid and then we don't ever show her again. I don't like that. I want more Tilly, but less of that Tilly. I want more Tilly doing stuff. Yeah, because we've seen Tilly grow, and it just, like, the past couple episodes of these one-liners just seem like a like a regression of the character, and it's it's not fun. Right. Yeah, we need to see her doing more. It's like, it's the jokes are fine and everything. I like that about her character, and I don't want to see that completely go away. But we also need to see why she belongs on the ship. And just making little jokes like that here and there and being awkward aren't enough. That wouldn't keep you on the crew of a starship. It's the other stuff she does that evidently she's doing in the background now. That's what they keep her around for. And that's what we want to see. Anyways, those are my dislikes. All right. Well, I've got a few here. Um, This is the reasons that my, my ranking got pushed down a little bit lower than you guys. Um, One of the big ones for me is that they made a big point in previous episodes about the reason that Starfleet believed this Red Angel was from the future was because of how high-tech the suit was and that we didn't have anything anywhere close to that technology, so it has to be from the future. Um, Except, well, oh, now we find out this suit was actually created when Michael was a kid. So it's not from the future. And I could understand if maybe she had upgraded the suit throughout her travels then i'd be like okay you know but they show the suit when she gets into it in for the very first time and then when the suit's standing next to her in the containment field there's no change there's no difference so it's like okay so evidently she hasn't done any updating to the suit it's she just had technology that starfleet thinks is future tech uh 20 years ago so i don't 
I didn't like that at all. I'm like, wait a minute. So wait, this suit was actually created before, but Starfleet thinks it's future. Uh, like what? Uh, I also disliked that. So they said she's been on over 800 missions and no one else has ever reported seeing her. I get that she can only speak with Spock because of his unique, specific combination of things. Okay, that's fine. But other people have seen her, mm-hmm. except only a few times. And But she's done this 800 and something times, and nobody else has seen her, really? Well, I think a lot of these missions are, are her going back and trying to do the same thing a different way. Yeah, that's that's how I felt it was, like a different reiteration. That's why she said that she saw Michael die like a hundred times and that she'll see her die a hundred more. It, uh, it's almost like a like a quantum leap situation. Like she, she keeps going and trying different iterations of changing the timeline, and every single iteration is just crap. It all just sucks. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I, I, I didn't threw me off though. I was like, but, but eight hundred that that does seem like a while. But then if you think about it, if if it's relative time, at the very minimum, she's been doing this as long as Burnham's been alive, which is well plus or minus ten, which is like, you know, twenty to twenty five years. So even from that perspective, she has been doing it a while, and that's why she really hates time is because it's just it's not nothing is working. Right. But I, I did feel too that eight hundred was a bit of an excessive number. It seemed really high, and especially for nobody having ever heard of it or seen it other than Spock this one time, and then you know, suddenly it pops up in the course of this season. It's like, well, but she's been in and out. And especially with what she says later, which is another thing on my dislikes list. So Michael's mom not wanting to see Michael. Supposedly, she's been watching her for years. Now she has the ability to talk to her, and she seems pissed about it. She's like, no, I don't want to talk to you right now. I'm not I'm not going to talk to you until I fix all this. But I also think that it's impossible to fix at this point. I've almost given up on it. But I'm not going to talk to you until I fix it. So, wait, what? (laughs) Like, seriously, your kid's right there. Talk to her. Like, why does she have to beg you to talk to her when you supposedly have been watching her? Which, uh, another one of my dislikes is there's no good explanation of how she was watching Michael all those years through all those different events without being seen. There's nothing indicating that this suit has cloaking technology. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, was was, did a little wormhole up went up and her face poked out and was like, (laughs) yes. (laughs) I mean, I don't, I don't get that. Uh, Otherwise, she has some way of like monitoring the timeline without going back. And and to me, that sounds very advanced. Unless she sends one of those camera robots through a wormhole. Maybe? I don't know. Uh, Yeah, it it threw me off. I'm like, okay, so you've been watching her all this time. First of all, how? And second of all, now you have the chance to talk to her and you're pissed off about it. Like, just talk to your kid for crying out loud. You might not get another chance. She did open up towards the end, though. Yeah, but like at the beginning when she was talking to, when she was like adamant, like, no, only Pike comes down. I don't want to talk to Michael at all. And she was like dead set against it. And then when Michael shows up for the first time, she's like, no, I'm not talking to you. And it's like, dude, what? Like, seriously, I don't know. I didn't like that. Another thing that I'm not really digging is this whole thing, this whole fight this season is about keeping control from achieving consciousness. 
is it me or is this, is control seeming just a little bit conscious right now? <laughs> I mean, it's actively taking over a human body so that it can get done what it wants to get done, doing all these things. It seems like it's achieved consciousness already. Like why, what is in that sphere data that's so much better than what it's already done that it needs that information. It seems like it's already gotten to where it needs to be to destroy everything. It feels like they're like fighting for the wrong thing here at this point. Well, the only, the only thing I can counter with that is what we saw in the episode was that yes, it can, it can replicate any image perfectly, but it doesn't have the human nuance to, fully convince someone but on the other hand to your point it's done a pretty damn good job so far (laughs) see i i always assumed this was the control from the future and not the present day control i'm so confused at what control is is what So, so this is the control that already has the sphere data trying to make sure that it gets the sphere data right that kind of goes to my Unanswered question. Uh, so I'll, I'll hold off on on going it, into it. It gets a little nuts in some places for sure. Yeah, um, and that kind of speaks to my next point. Actually, is I think this episode had a little too much of the quote unquote magic bullet techno babble, which I know it's a tried and true Trek trope. That's something that they do all the time. Like all of a sudden, oh, I'll just reverse the polarity on the flux coupling of the uh, inverse emitter, and everything will be fine. Oh, okay, cool. You know. But this episode had way more of it, I feel, than previous Discovery episodes. I think Discovery thus far has been pretty good about keeping the sci in sci-fi somewhat. Mm. Yeah, it's fiction. They, yeah, they are stretching the limits of what is possible, but they've always had a fairly decent scientific explanation behind it. And in this one, they're just like, oh, yeah, the mitochondrial DNA match was, uh, you know, it's close enough. So that's why we thought it was a perfect 100% match. And I swore by it last episode. Um, And then like, oh, I know. Let's just throw some dark matter in the transporter and we'll be able to keep her here. Like, what? Like, where the hell did that come from? Like, just all of a sudden dark matter can be put into a transporter and that makes it a magic transporter Uh, there was a little too much of that i mean granted that didn't end up working because they weren't able to get it set up in time but the fact that they had it just seemed like a little bit too much of that going on in this particular episode when yeah it's in previous episodes of discovery specifically they've managed to kind of avoid doing that you know most of the tech they that they've had has either been tech that already existed in the Star Trek universe that we're, we've accepted like transporters or it's had good solid scientific explanations behind it like the mycelial network and such you know that's based on real scientific theory yeah can we travel along it throughout space probably not but at least it's something that actually exists that they use real science to, to base it on, not just like random. Um, if we throw the word subspace in there, it'll make it sound like it's uh, cool, right? Okay, yeah, it's a subspace interference field. Yeah, yeah, subspace. Totally, subspace. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I, I felt that this episode did that a little bit more than previous episodes of Discovery did, and I didn't, I didn't quite dig that. Yeah. But, yeah, that's me. Other than that, I thought it was a pretty decent episode. <laughs> Except for all that. 
<laughs> Except for all of those things that I just moaned about <laughs> half an hour. <laughs> so moving on to our unanswered questions. My two this week. What were the nanoprobes doing when Tyler walked into Leland's quarters? Stitching that face for some reason. It's weird. It was really weird. And why didn't Tyler look right? <laughs> that, that's, that's another good question. So you walk into a room that has a door in the middle and you look at left and you keep looking left for a while, you're like, okay, I'm going to thoroughly check this side of the room. Are you in that corner? Okay, now I'll turn around. Oh, geez, there he is right there. It's like, oh, come on, room clearing 101. Quick look left, quick look right, boom. And then you do a deeper search after you're sure that there's nothing right there in front of you. Yeah, that was just weird. But Yeah, I wonder, like, they seem to be having trouble keeping themselves completely inside of Leland's body and I don't know if maybe that's Leland actually fighting back maybe oh. we'll see those moments of the, oh. the facade breaking maybe that's that's Leland's will like trying to yeah. push them that would be interesting I dig that that's cool I like that one yeah so we'll go with that then alright good yeah definitely <laughs> that's a good job <laughs> Mr. Dewey solved it <laughs> Next, is Dr. Burdum so determined to stop control because her jump is what set everything into motion? Hmm. That's a tough one because it's hard to, yeah, her subsequent jumps, like, it's possible that she inadvertently ended up creating the future in which she found herself. And that could be, that could be an interesting twist. Just don't time travel, guys. Don't, don't do it at all. <laughs> stop it <laughs> yes yeah. ah, stop all the time travel I mean they had to they had to create a whole temporal investigations thing like come on stop yeah. it and then with Voyager we have time ships yeah from the 29th century just stop yeah. the time travel yeah. just don't do it Yeah, we need to get one of those in, involved where the hell are the ships from the 29th century <laughs> Yeah, why don't they just come back and be like, listen, guys, you're doing it guys, all. Guys, you need to just cut all of this out. Oh, please. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Mr. Barry, what are your uh, unanswered questions? Okay, so Tyler brought up faith a couple of times this episode. So is the faith in the faith versus science theme that was supposed to be happening this season, is that going to make a return? In some kind of big way, because the new interviews from Paley Fest uh, a couple weekends ago, um, everyone's kind of saying that this finale will be really surprising and and a bit unexpected. They're kind of doing this pre-hype for it. And the reason why I ask is the faith aspect coming back because Dr. Burnham had no idea what the red signals were. And is this a higher power? Is it a future good sphere thing? Where did the sphere come from? Is that some kind of godlike being? And Star Trek hasn't been afraid to go there before with, you know, beings of unimaginable power. Things like Q, which I mean, he could be considered a god in a way, the whole Q right. continuum. Yeah. So that's where. I, I want to know is like because Tyler is is you know calling out faith and oh well we can't we can't make you know predictions on faith blah blah, blah someone told him and well 
okay, like we can't make strategy on faith, but then how the hell are you going to explain all this? And I think it'd be interesting. And instead of a reset button, I hope we never find out who sent the red signals or they leave it very vague or that's the mystery we'll never solve. So, so they kind of dropped a hint and I think it would be cool if they don't explain it. Like, yeah, but whatever happened to that, that, that was weird. Is that ever going to happen again? Like, no, I, I just, I, I think that, Hey, maybe if it calls, you know, to question some of the characters faith and, in their gods or, or not gods. And, and that's why I like the new Eden episode so much was mm-hmm. because there was that, that tie to all of this. And even though that they thought the people of Terralesium thought that the red angel, they based their whole religion on that. Yeah. But the red signals still are playing some kind of part. And that's the thing. They preceded this whole event. So this was the very first thing that alerted people. So maybe it's preceding all of Dr. Burnham's jumps and she doesn't even know what they are. She's seen references to them, but like she said, she doesn't know. And I, I think she wouldn't lie to Captain Pike about something like that. Cause she was pretty focused on it. And she's like, look, I have no idea what those are. Yeah. Like she was very matter of fact about it. And I don't think she had a reason to lie about them either. Yeah, no, I, I believe her when she says she doesn't know what those are. My friend uh, Chris, who actually I did uh, used to do science and beer podcast with, I was talking to him online about this episode earlier, and he actually brought up an interesting point. He had said, you know, we were talking about the idea of there being some counter force to control that was having a battle and what, what could be. And he had mentioned that uh, possibly it's actually time itself. We talked about time being an enemy. Maybe time ends up being an enemy to control. He does kind of, he stated that there were a couple of throwaway lines in this episode, which almost but not quite hinted at the conscious nature of time. So is it time itself that is trying to correct itself by sending these signals to try and either fix or undo whatever all this jumping around is doing? That would, that would be kind of interesting as well. Yeah. I I think that'd be very cool. Yeah. So there's that. And the other one I had was, Hey, when the hell are we going to see number one in the enterprise again? (laughs) Well, we know that, uh, both Anton Mount and Rebecca Romain are not signed on for season three. They're done after this season. Nope, but he said so, that there's more to number one. Yes. Okay. Hopefully we'll get to see her some more. I, I just want there to be some kind of big battle and her and the Enterprise to just come in phasers blaring and she saves the day. I just want a big F. Yeah, it's the Enterprise. Yeah, Enterprise just flies in, starts firing torpedoes out of its nacelles, and just blasts everything. Oh, <laughs> not out of its nacelles. No. no. Damn it. No. No. I'm triggered. I'm triggered. The, uh, that's the one thing I hate. Like, you uh, just. God damn it, just look at a goddamn cutaway of your ship and know where the, the torpedoes are. It just, it's not hard. The thing God. with Discovery is it's so flat. Like, I'm, I'm literally looking at the model while we're talking. Uh, about it. I'm, like, trying to find where the torpedo tubes actually would be. 
like obviously that you have to have torpedo tubes on various sides of your ship and such because you have to be able to shoot them in different directions. But yeah, it's so thin. It's like really, where would you put the? Where are the torpedo so, tubes? When I was looking at the scene where from season one, it looked like there were two torpedo tubes flanking those the pylons, like right after that like lighted area. Oh, between the okay. area and the nacelles, like yeah. on that on that flat thin part, right? Which would be great, except I paused it, and they're literally coming out of the bussard club. Oh yeah, no, I uh, yeah, you're you're definitely right. Um, they're definitely coming out of the wrong place in in this episode. <sighs> they, they could have just pushed them out the uh, shuttle bay door. Then it's probably still open. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, I, I hate it. I hate it. Can we, can we move on? <laughs> uh, absolutely. <laughs> All right, I got a couple unanswered questions here. Um, we we kind of brought one up right now. If Dr. Burnham slash the Red Angel wasn't the cause of the signals, then uh, what was? You know, that's a very big question. So hopefully that's something that we're going to get an answer for at least a satisfactory conclusion to whether we get an answer answer or not. I, yeah. I don't know. But, and then the other thing is that she said she jumped 950 years into the future. And in the short Trek Calypso, Zora states that the discovery had been abandoned for almost a thousand years. She never said exactly a thousand uh, years. She said almost uh-huh. a thousand years. Those two numbers seem awfully close to me, so I'm wondering if that is a coincidence, and I don't think it is. Um, I'm wondering how they're going to to play that, though. It's like, so at some point, they decided to say, okay, we're going to just leave the discovery here, and it's just going to sit here and wait until, you know, 950 years later when Dr. Burnham's going to appear, and then it'll save her. Mm-hmm. Or, you like, like, how are they going to play that out? And then, of course, it makes sense now that Zora would have been able to achieve consciousness because, you know, Discovery's sitting there for 950 years with the sphere data on board. You know, it can evolve itself, and it made itself into a, a friendly AI who maybe sent some signals someplace. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We, we don't know. <laughs> that's that's what makes it an unanswered question. <laughs> But I do, I do wonder if they're going to tie this in with the Calypso short trek in some way. The the time, the timelines that they're stating are too close to be coincidence, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree. Wait for my prediction. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, are we ready to rank this bad boy? Yeah, Commander, three pips. Same. I actually, like I said, just because I, and I can't really tell you if this. I don't know if it was the pacing or what it was. There was just something just a little off on this episode for me. So it didn't get a full commander for me. I did give it a lieutenant commander, two and a half pips. I might be you know, willing to, to bump it up to two and three quarter pips if that you were guys a thing. But... <laughs> in your made up ranks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, enough with the quarters. <laughs> But I'll go ahead and throw it throw it at Lieutenant Commander. Two and a half pips on this one. Uh, definitely not the worst episode we've ever had of Discovery or any Trek for sure. But uh, it wasn't wasn't as strong as the previous episodes in this season for me personally. Yeah, yeah. All right. And uh, getting into predictions, um, Mr. Dewey pretty much went over my prediction. 
in his um, (laughs) unanswered question. Discovery is waiting in the future for Michael's mom since the suit has been damaged. I add to that that they will make a leap forward in time through the use of that magical spore drive. Oh, yeah. Well, they know they can use the spore drive to time travel if they stay in the network for an extended period. Yes, because they skip nine months. Yeah, so if they wanted to skip a lot of time, they just have to stay in the network for longer. And, you know, because they were in the network for like 30 seconds, it skipped them ahead nine months. So you jump in there for, hey, let's jump into the network for an hour and pop out, see where we're at. Uh, You know, who knows? (laughs) For me, for the predictions, um, the trailer they gave us for next episode, it looks like there's going to be a lot of action. looks like there's going to be some stuff happening, but nothing that I could really base a prediction on. They've been so good at keeping us guessing. I do (laughs) really want to know what uh, Laurel and Tyler's kid have to do with, with all of this. Like, I'm glad that they're kind of coming back around to that because it's almost a throwaway thing. But at the same time, I'm like wondering, like, how is that going to like, why does that matter all of a sudden again? Why are they going back there? So I'm curious how that is going to to come out. But I really don't have a prediction about it. Um, And then as far as for beyond, I think I've already talked about uh, everything that I think might happen at the, you know, towards the end of the season. But once again, they have been doing a very good job of keeping us guessing this year. So it could be completely something that we haven't even talked about before. Yeah, they've been uh, doing a good job with that. And uh, I appreciate that most definitely. And there's there's also some ki- kind of breaking news here oh. from, I believe it was TrekCore. Let me... Because I, I don't want to get my information wrong. Uh, they've been doing such a good job of keeping things under wraps that we don't even know the last names of the three episode titles. But we do now because the title for next week's episode is Through the Valley of Shadows. Oh. And that sounds crazy. And uh, if you watch The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Tignataro released a clip which happens to be for next week's episode. It wasn't this week. Mm. So she's back. Jet Reno is back. Awesome. I've been missing her. Like, I thought she was a great addition, and then they just, like, never used her again. I was like, What? So I'll, I'll be glad to see her back. That'll be good. Yeah, definitely. That wraps up our discussion on episode 11 of season two of Star Trek Discovery. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure, as always. Yeah. Mr. Barry, if we were to look for you on the internet, how would we find you? Yes, you can find me mainly on Twitter and Instagram at trekkieb 47 you can find my other podcast that's also on the Four Eyed Radio Network. It's Ranger Command Power Hour. If you are into Power Rangers, and that is Ant Ranger Command PH on Twitter. Very nice. Uh, Mr. Dewey, how would we find you? I am on most social media platforms, including Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at Eric J. Dewey. And also don't forget to uh, follow the entire network on Twitter at the SasquatchNet and on Facebook at Four-Eyed Radio Network. Awesome. And you can find me on most 
social media platforms at Nova Charter. Thank you all for listening. Uh, if you listen to us on iTunes, why don't you rate us and leave a review? We would uh, be very interested in knowing if you liked us or if you didn't like us either way. So there you go. Thanks for listening. Live long and prosper. Keep on trekking. Pew, pew. <laughs> no, those damn torpedoes. <laughs> Boop. God, I hate that. Uh. Yeah. Out of the nacelle? Come on! <laughs> I didn't say where the pew-pews were coming from. I could have... Uh, no, I'm... I'm triggered. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Starfleet Escape podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can find us on the web at sfxscapepod.com, on Twitter and Instagram at sfxscapepod, and on Facebook.com slash sf escape pod <laughs>